Welcome to Sam's on Fire, a podcast for everyday entrepreneurs navigating business decisions, growth, and structure. Now, here's your host, Sam Livingston. Hello, and welcome to the Sam's on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Sam Livingston, and in this week's episode, I had the opportunity to speak with Matt Matil. He's an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, and the host of the Cashflow King podcast. Matt's worked with hundreds of investors and shares some great advice on entrepreneurship, and this one is a must-listen for business owners at any level. Let's jump right in. I hope you like the show. Hey, everyone. Sam Livingston here with Sam's on Fire. I'm here with Matt Motil. Matt Motil is uh, doing some big things in the real estate industry, and he's, he's kind of turning it on its head here in the greater Cleveland area and, and doing some great things that I wanted to share with you guys as entrepreneurs. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, Matt, when I first got to know you, we talked a little bit, and I, I, I was introduced to you as Dr. Matt. So I want to start right there because you have a very interesting road coming into real estate and getting into the investor market and being an entrepreneur. So start at the beginning of Dr. Matt. Wow. Okay, the beginning. It all started in fourth grade. No, I'm there you go. <laughs> so I went to college like everybody you know, told you that you're supposed to do, you know, my parents are now considered boomers. I don't know that they were when I was a kid, but you know, that generation was very big on that. If you want to be something someday you should go to school. And so I went to college and got an engineering degree and went out and started working in the construction industry. And, uh, and along the way I got an MBA and then thought I wanted to teach. And so I went, the next step was I already got an MBA. So let me just get a doctorate. And so I went back to school and got a, uh, a DBA, which is doctor of business business administration. And then you realize once you have a terminal degree that you are pretty unemployable. <laughs> and overqualification uh, is real, right? Well, it, I think I think it's intimidating for a lot of people. It, you're never worth what you're worth to the company you're with when you go and make an achievement like that. So I remember when I got my engineering license, like I could actually design and stamp things as an engineer. The day before I passed the exam, I was Matt Motil, project manager, right? And then you come back Monday after getting the letter in the mail and you're like, well, now I'm Matt Motil, comma, PE, professional engineer. And that means something. And that's, you know, I wasn't that on Friday, but I am that today. And they're like, dude, you're the same dude you were on Friday. Like, we don't try to fake it here. Like, you're the same dude. Right. But when you go and achieve something like that, sometimes it's intimidating for people because it shines a spotlight on them. But at the same time too, you kind of look and say, well, yeah, but because I've achieved this, I'm worth more, or there should be something extra here, or, you know, give me more responsibility. And a lot of cases, it's not that. And what I found in a couple of places that I worked after I got my doctorate completed was it, I think it's intimidating for a lot of people when they, they are managing somebody who is more credentialed than they are. Absolutely. There's more, you know what I mean? The perception of, well, is this person going to take my job next week kind of a thing? Um, and so what I found was people try to run you off. Right. Well, and I think it's funny. I, th I think there's two sides to that. And, and in the entrepreneurial world, I always think about what's subliminal or what is not necessarily in, in our conscious, but what is in our subconscious. And sometimes what I find is that's a conscious thought like, oh, who's this Mac? I think he is now PE or you know, doctor or, you know, uh, MBA, whatever it might be. 
that, that might be, you know, an, an absolute out loud thought, but people sometimes even might want to wish you well, but they get panicky, right? They're like, oh, you know what? Now, now it's kind of a, a competition. And uh, even if they're not necessarily running that race, they feel very competitive or, or feel mm-hmm. non-competitive and it, it can be really difficult. I have had more credentials at times than some of my superiors. And I definitely felt that like, uh, uh, uh-oh, you know, yeah. can we survive in the same space? So it's, it's amazing that it, 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 you, you talk right through that. Like, hey, sometimes they want to run you off of here because you've done something good, but it makes them feel bad. Right. Well, and then I thought, okay, I wanted to do higher education. So let me go teach. And I taught at uh, Tri-C, which is people are listening to this outside of Cleveland. They're not going to know that's Cuyahoga Community College. And, and I taught at the University of Akron. I taught construction engineering and I taught uh, business classes. And I couldn't handle the bureaucracy of higher education. And when you really kind of crack that nut and you realize like we're brainwashed from kindergarten on to be really good employees, right? The entire education system really is, well, we need something for all of these kids of our employees to do during the day. So let's create school, right? And let's train them on all the things so that when their parents are old and can't work anymore, their kids are ready to plug in and take their place. So even the bells that ring at certain times of the day and the way that the day is structured and whatnot, it all kind of feeds into that same thing. So when you go into higher ed and you're teaching at that higher level, now I'm not training the lower level worker, but I'm training the middle management people. And as right. I transitioned out of that space into the entrepreneur space, I was like, man, I can't, I can't continue to proliferate this you know, BS because that's not what I'm about anymore. And I so I'm not interested in helping you become the best middle manager you can be. I'm out here growing businesses myself, and, and that's where my passion is. I got to get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you, you talk about the bureaucracy of higher education. And here's, oh, dude, it's awful. Well, and I'm talking to a guy with, that has a doctorate that talks about this. And I love it because, see, uh, another thing that I find, um, not necessarily in the entrepreneur space, but when I work with, with people that have credentials of, of any caliber, Sometimes they want to justify it because it's hard for us to swallow that we, you spent a lot of money on your credentials. Oh yeah. And did you go in student loan debt for that? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so now it's hard for us to say, Six well, figures. <laughs> you start to go, you, you go, did I, am I that dumb to be this smart? You know, I have these great credentials. So we don't want to admit that maybe higher education, especially the way it's done in the United States is the right answer. We, we also, a lot of times what we do is we want to justify why it's a good thing that I did. And I love that you go, it's bureaucracy. It, there's a lot of levels to it. And, and how hard, how hard is it to swallow that you, you threw away six figures? Uh, and you didn't throw well, away, but it and I, and I, and I don't, and I don't look at education as a waste, right? So um, what's the saying? You either earn or you learn, right? right? So you either win or it's a lesson. And you can, especially this day and age, right? With all the fake gurus on the internet and all that kind of stuff, you can spend five, $10,000 on a course or a mastermind and you can get absolutely nothing out of it. Right. And you can go down to your local community college or your local university and you can spend three to 500 a credit hour and you can get nothing out of it. Right. It's, it's all different sources of education. You can read books, you can watch YouTube videos, you can hire a coach and a mentor, you can join a mastermind, you can go have formal education. And I think what it really comes down to is, is your intention correct when you go into it, right? Are you setting realistic expectations of what the outcome is going to be? And then are you putting in the work, right? 
I the the young crowd right now that's in the you know mid twenties to mid thirties wants to just bash on college like the only people that go to higher ed now are suckers. And it's funny to me because I go, how many of you went to school? Because I, I I play devil's advocate online because it's fun. And and this is what you do when you get to a certain point where you just go, I, I don't need any of you to be my clients anymore. So I'm just going to stir the pot. But you go and you say, how many of you actually went to school? And a bunch of people are like, oh yeah, it was a scam. And you go, the reality is you didn't know what you wanted to study when you went. You didn't have a clear intention. You didn't know what was the job market when you got out. So you made an investment into yourself and you didn't know the exit strategies. You didn't do your due diligence, right? When we tie this back into real estate, you went out and blindly bought a piece of property without knowing what you were buying. You didn't know if the house actually existed. You never went and took a look at it. You didn't get a survey. You didn't get a home inspection. And then at the end of the day, you go and you get the keys and you go, wow, this is a flaming pile of dog crap. And you're like, I got to be able to blame somebody other than myself. Right. And that in itself, when we pause it right here, you go, this is the problem with all of it is everybody feels like, well, there should be somebody whose fault this is not mine. So we have entitlement and then we have victimhood. And, and I love it, it, and it does relate. You said it's the same as buying a house without having any due diligence done. Exactly yeah. the same thing. And I look at that all and, the time. And when I equate it that way, people go, yeah, you're kind of right. I didn't really know what I wanted to study. And you go, so you were spending five, $7,000 a semester basically to drink beer, smoke weed, chase tail, and try to figure your life out. Well, right. that sounds like a bad investment of my time. I could have sat in mom and dad's basement for free and not paid tuition and had the same experience. And I think a lot of people, when they're in that boat, because somebody, you know, in in some of these online groups and stuff, somebody said, well, I'm 21 credits away, and I'm thinking about switching my major. I'm not really sure what I should do. And I said, drop the fuck out of school. I said, drop out, go do something, figure your life out. And then when you decide that, okay, now I know what I want to do, then go back. And you may not go back. But don't sit and just take classes and continue to burn through the student loan money because it's free. Right, right. Until you figure yourself out. Like that and then seems probably when you're 40 that you still have student loans. Well, and that's exactly it, right? Right, man? Like you're, you're going to switch your major three times. You're going to be in school long enough to get a doctorate and you're going to leave with a bachelor's degree probably in general studies or liberal arts or something just because you have enough credits to just graduate and walk across the stage. And then you're going to have $200,000 in loans and you're going to have a $30,000 a year job, and you're going to go, oh, I'm never going to get out of this. Like, oh, Bernie Sanders needs to pay off my student loan debt. Like, I'm such a victim. How, who's going to come to save me, right? And the reality is no one's coming to save you, but you want to be a victim because you literally spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to figure out who you were. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like you're selling, you're saying ownership. Is, is yeah, deep. it's just taking ownership of your life, right? Yep. That's what it comes down to. Let's switch gears a little bit into entrepreneurship because ownership, you know, I don't know of any successful entrepreneurs and I know entrepreneurs that didn't graduate high school and I know entrepreneurs that have doctorate degrees and everything in the middle. I I know guys who switched gears completely from an industry that they were doing. I know a doctor that started a farm, which is two of the, I mean, they're very diabolically different, but what I know is they took ownership of what they didn't like about their life. They took ownership for what they were doing 
wrong in their instance because it wasn't what they wanted. And then they took ownership of the path that they were going to go forward. So, uh, so the, the kind of the same thing that, that you're talking about. So at some point you said higher education is not where I want to be. I don't see myself doing that. There is quite a ceiling to, um, to the majority of us if we're going into higher education, right? I mean, there's, yeah. there, you can live a decent life, but there, there is a ceiling. So talk about the transition. Once you get like tenure at a place. Yeah. And it's really kind of stupid how it works, but, um, and I, we don't need to like dissect higher education, but it is just like everything else in the world. It's very pay to play. And you don't realize that when you're going in there, right? You like, you think, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do research and I'm going to promote, you know, I'm going to push my industry forward in terms of the knowledge base. And I'm going to be able to educate, educate the next generation of people coming up. And then what you realize is to be credible to, for the university, to be able to recruit, you got to publish like five, six times a year in peer reviewed academic publications, which means you have to be doing research. You've got to be writing papers and dude, to publish in these journals is like 2,500 bucks. So it's not like, oh, I did such a great study that everybody is clamoring to be the guy to publish it. No, it's just, oh, you want to publish with us? Here's how much it is. If you, want to, if you don't want to pay us, well, then you can go to a different publication that's not as credible as we are. It's just yeah. same and, thing. And pay less. <laughs> well, you'll exactly. Pay, and you'll pay less, pay. but it's not as credible. And then there's like, there's conferences. So you can go, I could go, I could have gone to like a project management conference and spoke on burnout in the construction industry because that's what I did my doctorate on. And they're charging hundreds and thousands of dollars to attend these events, right? And I thought, well, if my research is good enough, then I'll get on stage and get an opportunity to talk about it. And I, no, you pay to get on stage too. And it's like everything else. And you go, wow, the guy that's throwing the event is the one making money. And everybody that's speaking is paying. And everybody that's attending is paying. And you go, wow, this is a hustle. Yeah. And, and there like, are how many hustles out there like that right now? It's Well, great. now there's tons. There's tons. Everybody's got an event now. Everyone's got well, an event. And the, those who don't, some of the events are on how to throw an event. I, like, I, like, it's amazing. Like, hey, we're going to teach you how to do a mastermind. And it doesn't matter. You can be a dietitian. You can be a nutritionist. You can be a, a workout guru. You can be a real estate flipper. You can be a real estate investor. You can be, I don't care what you do, but we can just teach you. Like, we're just going to give you the pattern of how to make a mastermind out of it and how to get rich because what you're saying. It, 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 I'll equate it to in the real estate world. I was, uh, I was contacted very recently and said, Hey, uh, you qualify for this really cool award, whatever, whatever. And I, but you, we didn't see you put an application in. And I was like, yeah, I kind of, I really don't care about those things. And I'm like, Oh, it's really cool. And you know, and I was thinking, all right, what, whatever, what do I need to do? And they send me the application and I fill out. I actually, I had my assistant fill out the application and, and we sent it back and about two or three days later, they called and said, okay, now we just need your fee. And I said, fee for what? And they said, so you get the award. I was like, oh, never mind. I don't need it. And they were they were really pissed. But I was like, wait a minute. I can go yeah, down to the you, trophy shop on the road and I can make my own award. It says coolest dude in this office. But the, the, right. the, that's really, we're buying credentials now. We're buying awards. We're buying masterminds. So we can hang a plaque on our wall and we can say we have this great credential. But really, it, it is pay to play. And and I love, I'm, I don't love, but I appreciate the fact that you can tell me that it's, it's across other industries, even in education. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I mean, higher education is a business. Like don't, don't get it wrong. And the, the, the racket here is around the whole student loan concept from, 
you know, it was like, well, how can we get more people in the doors of the schools? Well, they can't afford to go. Well, let's make it affordable to go. And so the government now is basically like, oh, you need money to go here. This is the easiest money you can get is student loan debt. And oh, by the way, the only way you can get rid of it is to die. Right. Or pay it off or okay. have it forgiven. And, and when people realize that, you go, oh, wow, this is a government program to keep us right where we are. Because if I can't discharge it, right? Like if I realize down the road that I bought all of these assets as, you know, like rental properties, right? And I made a poor choice. Well, I can file bankruptcy and I can pull the plug on the whole thing, right? It might be a mess and it might screw up my credit and all this and all that. But the dust is going to settle someday and you're going to go, all right, I got out from that and it was a lesson learned. I know what I should have done or shouldn't have done and blah, 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 right? You can't get out of that student loan debt. Like you can't decide later on, like, hey, you know what? I didn't get the ROI I was looking for. This was a bad investment and I need to be able to settle my debts and move on with my life. Nope. Sorry. Can't do that. No pulling that plug, right? <laughs> no pulling that plug. You either get it forgiven, you pay it off or you die. That's it. And one interesting thing that you brought up there is the government's play in this and, and, and really rising tuition through the last two, two and three decades, uh, I would say rest squarely on the shoulders of the, the consumer that is happy to get whatever they can get because they don't worry about consequences. So they have no ownership. And then the government really making these schools, they've given these schools um, carte blanche to kind of do whatever they want, charge whatever they want because, well, the government's going to make sure that we get paid. Well, and that's exactly it, right? It like, creates, so we can increase right? tuition across the board 10% year over year over year right? And the students will pay it because the money is free. It's easy. And, and, and you know, well, what? And while you're I, there, it seems free because you're not making right. payments because all the payments are deferred. So you go, and this is the trap I think a lot of students fall into is as long as the payments are deferred, I don't have to think about them, right? Like, Hey, if I go straight from my undergrad to a master's degree, I can defer all of these payments for another two years. Well, that's a future Matt problem. I'm not going to worry about that today. Defer it is. What Matt, you know, what master am I going to? And then you're seeing these students come right out of school with master's degrees, with no work experience, and you went straight Zero work. four years. So you've been a student for the last six years. You're now 24 years old. You think you're worth sixty dollars to $80,000 a year because you've got this master's degree, but you have absolutely no experience. And, and the, I think the worst thing about the non-experience isn't necessarily for the employer because we get a lot of our experience w with the employers that we end up working with. But I think the really scary thing is for the actual person that went to college for six plus years. And now they might find themselves in an industry that they really probably shouldn't be in. And they could have found that out. Had Maybe they go to school and get their bachelor's. And then leave school and get in that workforce. And they go, you know what? I'm going to change directions a little bit. But because, because we've done it this way. And, and you know what? I love the fact, too, that, yeah, we're going to make it really easy because you can defer those payments. And who does that really help? Oh, it doesn't help anybody. Well, it helps the it helps. Well, it helps the, it helps the, it, it it helps the institution because Absolutely. you continue to go down that path thinking like, well, you know, someday I'll have to settle this up. But that's not today. So you know, the party continues for a couple more years. So there's that, that <laughs> carrot. They just get to keep dangling in front of you and they are the benefactor of it. Now, and, and I don't want to go too much further. We're, we're pretty far down the educational rabbit hole, which is great. Sure. Because I think that if people have a better understanding of it, 
I am not one to say school is bad or uh, uh, higher education is bad. I think that's that's a well, mistake that a lot of people. I, I think there's an interesting perspective, and you know, and this may, hopefully maybe can help wrap wrap up this topic. But I look at it this way: the universe puts us where we're supposed to be. The universe, like, kind of directs us through the flow of life. And if you're a person who we can all look back and we can all second guess decisions we made and we can all have regrets and all that kind of stuff, right? But at every decision that we make through life, even if two minutes later you go, well, that was really stupid. At that moment, that was exactly what you wanted, right? At that moment in time, that was what you thought you absolutely needed or wanted, right? To date that person or to walk down that aisle or to say I do or to open that business or to make that decision or to study that major. And I think when you really look back and you go, man, I spent all of these years doing this. And it, and when you start to feel like, well, that was a waste or that wasn't a good ROI on my money or that was, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think what you tell the universe is like, I committed to something for an extended period of time and it was the wrong move. And I think later on, what we find is that down this journey of life, you come back and you go, wow, I really thought that that six years I wasted in college was a complete waste of time and money. But look at this opportunity I just got presented with. I never thought I was going to use this again, but here we are. Right. Like when I left construction, you know, keep in mind, I was a senior PM. I, had, I was making really good money as a salaried person. And uh, I had spent 15 plus years in the industry. I had multiple degrees and you know, I had more letters after my name in terms of engineering and construction credentials than I could even rattle off. And when I left, the overwhelming response was, you're throwing your education away, you're throwing your career away, you're wasting your life, all this and all that, right? And here we are on the doorstep of getting ready to start developing our own projects like ground up construction in the real estate space and you go well who's better equipped to do this than me i got all this you know i managed 100 million dollar construction projects and when i left the industry i was burned out and i was like i never want to build anything for the rest of my life ever and here you come back full circle and you've got and we've got lenders now they're going dude with your construction background and your real estate background they're like you're more credible and experienced than half of the people we're giving money to for new construction loans are like, please go develop something so we can fund it for you. And you go, that's the way the universe works. You just have to be patient and allow the time to come back and say, ah, now I see the value in this. And sometimes there is no value. Sometimes you look back later and you go, the signs were there that I was really throwing my money away and I ignored them. And yeah, that was a lesson learned. I should learn to listen to my gut a little bit better. Okay. Lesson learned. We move on. Right. When right. the next person comes down that says, Hey, join my mastermind. It's on, you know, here's what I got. Let me show you. And you're like, no, bro, I'm good. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, and, and I, somewhere else. I think that th there are good experiences behind that too. Cause I've thrown some of my money behind some, some, some snake oil to be perfectly honest. Um, and even people that had good intentions that just didn't have the product that they, they were better salespeople than, than their product uh, mm -hmm. might've been, which is fine. Lesson learned. Again, like you said, if you don't win, you learn uh, if you're smart, right. if, if you want to, if you want to look at it differently, go ahead. But, uh, but you, you seem to have probably better than anyone else uh, in my immediate circle 
navigated it to where you go, all right, I, I've come full circle and this is what I'm doing now. So talk to me about that because I know with, with your company now, with the people that are in your circle, with what you're doing, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So it, it really does come down that whole line of you either learn or you, you earn or you learn, right? And you learn more when stuff doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. And then you've got to pivot and shift and, and whatnot. So we started out when I, uh, when I left the construction industry, we had a handful of rental properties and, and we were living uh, below our means for the most part. And so what we were trying to cover in terms of cash flow from rentals wasn't that big. You know, we weren't living on like a $20,000 a month budget or something silly like that. So you don't have to have this massive empire of properties to cover that nut to be able to leave the industry. And when I got to the point where we became really close to that, where it was like, well, here's what our bills cost. And it was like, well, here's what our rentals are bringing in. I started to become this really awful employee at work. And like, you just don't let people push you around anymore because you don't need the paycheck. And when that happened, I didn't last very long. And so at the end of 2015, so it's been uh, about four years, I was let go of the job that I had. And I made the decision, I'm not going back to work. Like, this is it. I'm done. We're just going to go pursue real estate full-time now. And I had already signed up to take real estate classes to get a license. And, um, and I thought, well, there's a little bit of a gap between the rentals and our bills. And so I'll just go sell some houses. I mean, how hard could it be? <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I know some really dumb realtors, no offense, but, and you know that, I, you know that I'm right. Like we're, we're, oh, we're here. I talk about it all the time. So it, it's not like the barrier of entry to be a realtor is, is relatively low. And it became even lower when Ohio lets you do it online. Right. You don't even have to physically show up anymore. Well, so anyway, I went down that path of being a realtor and, and with the intent of growing our real estate portfolio. And then I landed into wholesaling real estate contracts um, because the majority of the people that I was selling property to as a realtor were investors. And so I built up this really big list of people that were interested in Cleveland real estate as a buyer. And I was just acting as a realtor, right? And so the next thing we knew, we, we started slinging uh, contracts instead of deals, which was more lucrative for us. And we continued to build the buyer's list and whatnot. And then, you know, you run into situations where you got to pivot the business and, and things of that nature. And at the time, it was like, oh my God, we're going to, you know, like, I don't know if we're going to be able to weather this storm. I don't know if we're going to stay in business. And we ended up having to pivot. And we went the route of, instead of selling real estate, instead of like selling contracts and things of that nature, I said, I'm just going to convince everybody that the better route is to be a private money lender and be passive. So you don't want to buy the rentals because that's active and you, and you already have a job that makes money. And so you don't want to pull your focus off that because if you chase two rabbits, you get none, right? As the saying right. goes. So it was like, hey, you really want to be passive. We're the operator. We already have a portfolio. We're looking to expand. We need money to do it. Why don't you lend us your money? We'll go individual investor, individual deal. And we just started growing a portfolio that way. So I converted a good percentage of our buyers into lenders and, uh, and just started growing from there. And at this point, I mean, it's silly when you look at the exponential growth curve that everybody talks about in entrepreneurship, right? Like everybody understands that curve of you don't make any money, you don't make any money, you don't make any money, you don't make any money. And all of a sudden it's like you hit critical right. mass and the thing goes through the roof. That's kind of where we're at this year in 2019 as we went from having 
a teeny tiny small amount of rentals in 15, growing it slowly in 16, growing it slowly in 17, growing it a little bit in 18. And then 2019, it just exploded. And we should, as long as everything goes well, we should have close to 2,500 rental units by the end of the year. That's pretty crazy. It's insane, dude. Like I, I sit and look at life now and I go, six months ago, I wouldn't have predicted this. 12 months ago, I wouldn't have predicted it. But it comes down to consistently doing the same things over and over and over again, even to the point of insanity where you go, I know this is the right thing to do. I don't feel like we're getting any traction here, but I'm planting the seeds, right? Like I'm planting the seeds. Next day I come plant another row. And the next day I come and plant another row. And eventually the crop takes off and you're like, oh shit, like we, this is what we thought was going to happen. But when it happens, you're like, well, hot damn, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> well, you, and that brings me into a whole nother realm. And we always talk about this in entrepreneur circles. Um, I don't think you could go on Instagram or Facebook and not see something about the haters because for some reason we allow that to fuel us. Um, I, I try to do it in a positive manner, but talk to me a little bit about that process because it's real, right? You're, you're planting those seeds, you're planting those seeds and the other people are coming by and spitting on your seeds and saying, that's never going to work. And it, it kind of is to the guy who doesn't have the clear out credentialing, right? Now I'm going to say this, and this is right off the top of my head. And I, I think this is actually really gold, right? So you plant all these seeds, like every day you're going out and you're planting the crops in the rows and you're watering them and all that kind of stuff. And every once in a while, people come over and they want to shit on your crops. And at the time you're like, well, don't do the hell out of my garden, dude. And then what you realize is what you thought was shit on your crops is actually fertilizer. And you're like, well, now it's grown even better. And I really appreciate you coming over here and dumping all over this because it's been great. Right. So a couple of things I'll talk about with haters, because I've had, I've had some, some louder than others, and they're always fun. A couple of things to remember is that no one will ever hate on you that's doing more than you, right? Absolutely. I mentor in a lot of groups and I do it for free. Like I don't do paid coaching or anything like that. And there's a couple of real estate groups that have, you know, like got 500,000, 1500 members and I'll go in there and I'll answer questions and I'll do live videos and I'll mentor people and whatnot. Never, ever, ever in my mind would I ever go and be like, well, you only got five rentals. Well, pff, you ain't doing shit, man. Like try to get to the big leagues. Why would I? Never. Because you remember the time that you were there and you were that person and you go, I would love to help them get to where I am faster than I got. Like that's the whole idea of community and camaraderie and, and support and whatnot. So no one's ever going to crap on you that's doing more than you, right? If they're hating on you, there's a perception in their mind that you're doing more bigger than they are and there's a jealousy factor to it. Right. And it's that insecurity in themselves that's coming out and being projected onto you. So that's the, that's the first thing with it. The other thing is there was a time where I would engage in a lot of that, right? Cause I was like, Oh, well you're posting on my stuff. So I'm just going to engage and I'll defend myself. Right. <laughs> and and it's just, it's just too. boosting the engagement. Right? right now. Here's the interesting that happened when we got really, really, really busy. When I got really, really, really busy, I don't have time to spend all day doing this or even this right? So you go, and then somebody sends me a screenshot. Hey, did you see what so-and-so said? I'm like, no, man, I'm too busy over here doing due diligence on apartment complexes, running a team. You know, I, we've got like 35 employees now across the board and all the different companies. And it's like, 
I got so much going on. If you're talking shit about me on the internet, like you clearly have plenty of time. Right. If you've got plenty of time to be spending time worrying about other people on the internet, that clearly shows to everybody that knows better, you don't have anything going on. Right. So the only people that are going to be attracted by those people are other people that also don't have anything going on because they got plenty of time to sit on the internet and read all this stuff. So it becomes a mindset thing for you personally to realize that this has absolutely nothing to do with you. Right. And when you can, when you can understand that and you can stand confidently in your own self and your own skin and what you have going on, you really become bulletproof and immune to it because you're just like, you can understand where they are on the journey, right? You can look and you can say, hey, man, there was a time where I hated on people too. And that was because I was broke and I didn't have anything going on. And I, I was upset because I wanted that level of success, right? I mean, that's really what it kind of boils down to. And then you almost have pity on them because you're like, ah, shit, man. I, you know, I know where you're at. I know where your head's at. And I almost yeah. feel bad for you. I've been there, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it, it, you know, and that brings me into the, one of the other topics that I think is so important when I talk to any entrepreneur and, and my entire podcast really isn't about real estate. It isn't about business um, of any specific industry. It's about entrepreneur mindset. It's about, you know, lifting others up. And I think the best we can do is show someone the mistakes we've made so they don't make them. Um, that comes down to one very, very important topic. And, and I don't think a lot of people understand or know how to do it right. And that is networking and how important networking is. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell a quick story because I met you in Dallas, right? Yeah. But we both were in Cleveland working in the same office unbeknownst to one another. Yeah. And I was trying to think, I'm like, where did I live? Cause we met in 2016. And I'm right. like, where did we, where was I living then? And so I'm like, okay, I was living in North Olmstead. But there was a time, like you're in Medina and I lived in Medina. And right. I just recently sold my house down there. So I was like, well, shit, we might have actually been in the same city at that time. But we, I mean, we we're only like 20 minutes apart. We, we probably yeah, it was really kind of funny. We, we would have met eventually because sure. our licenses were actually at the same brokerage, which was the funniest part. Right. And I, and, and no idea. And here I am in Dallas. At a, at, a, at a true masterminds, that's, there's yeah. a difference. We talked about that difference, but so I, I, I'm like, somebody says, Oh, do you work with Matt? And I'm like, Matt, who? And he said, Matt and I said, I've heard that name. How do I know that name? And they go, well, he's from Cleveland. He's at that, that particular brokerage as well. And I was like, so we, we get to talk. And, and I thought it was funny that here I am at a networking event halfway across the country, only to meet someone that literally lived 15 minutes from me. Yeah. But what is that? What, we can talk about the relationships and I, and I'll say this it was with Ryan Stuman and uh, mm -hmm. hardcore closer. And there was so many people I've met because of that, like Alex Sharfin and um, uh, Michael Reese. Uh, I could probably, yeah. if I just sat here and want to name drop, I could think of a lot more, but w when I think about that, and his network, network his net, his personal network has gotten a lot bigger too in the last probably 18 months as well. Oh, absolutely. So. I see some of the people yeah. that he's, he's in circles with and I go, you know, it's, it's tremendous when, when you're really in there for the right reasons, you're networking the right way. And the right way is when you go there to learn and see what you can do to help other people. Mm -hmm. what, what has that done for your business? Well, you know, there's that cliche saying that your network is your net worth. And people love to say it. People love to say all of those cliche things, right? They love to post them on Instagram and then sure. feel motivated that they posted it and hope that other people feel motivated when they read it. And when you finally get to the point where you, 
where the light bulb goes off and you truly understand some of this stuff, then you go, oh, okay, yeah, I got it. So money makes the world go round, right? Period. I mean, it just is what it is. Money is energy. It's not real. Like a lot of people, and I think this is the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset is that most people that are broke and are struggling look at money as a destination, right? It's like, well, if I could just make more money, then, and it's like, well, that's, that's like the linchpin on the success or that's the linchpin on the lifestyle that you want to have is, well, if I could just get my hands on more money. And I tell everybody all the time, money goes where it's invited and it stays where it's welcomed, right? When I, when I create more opportunities for money to be spent and the intention is good and I'm trying to help people legitimately with it, the money always shows up. Now, it's never the timing that I want. It's the universe's timing, right? And I have to be patient with that. But when I put myself out there and I put the business out there and I go, we're going to go do this. And people go, how are you going to pay for that? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just put it out there. And the universe always provides. And it does. So it's more of those, it's a tool, right? And it's just energy. So it's this energy transfer. And what you realize is, you know, from a sales standpoint, we do business with the people we like, know, and trust, right? And they say the other cliche is, it's lonely at the top, right? So your network is your net worth. We do business with people we like, know, and trust, and it's lonely at the top. Okay, so as you climb the entrepreneurial ladder, right, and you, you know, you're, I always equate it, it's like climbing Mount Everest, right? And you get into that cloud layer and you can't see the peak. And I have no idea. I have never climbed an, a mountain that size, but I've watched enough videos on Netflix. Right. About that. There's a cloud layer <laughs> and you get through it and then there's the peak and it's glorious and everybody, you know, celebrates. Well, entrepreneurship is, I got through that cloud layer and instead of a peak, there's a short plateau and you realize there's a whole nother Everest to climb now. And at first, I think a lot of people go, oh shit, like, I don't want to like, oh man, like I just thought, I thought this was the end. Yeah, it worked so hard to get here. There's always another level, right? And even if you could say like, all right, there's an elevator to the top and I'm going to get in that thing and every level it's going to open up and it's going to like, you know, level five, menswear, level six, you know, lingerie. And every time the door opens up at the next level of the ladder of life on the, you know, on the entrepreneurship's thing, there's fewer people at that level. The first level of entrepreneurship, you open it up, there's Gary Vee and there's Grant Cardone and on the big screens and there's a sea of people out there and everyone's like, entrepreneurship's amazing. Yay. And you go like five or six levels up and the door opens up and you're like, there's like three dudes here that I can see. And I don't know if I like them, but we'll check this level out for a little bit. And then eventually you, you realize that, oh, there's more people here, but I just couldn't see them all, right? And what you realize is that when you get to that point, the people you can have conversations with, the people that you can talk to, the people you can have these high-level discussions with, like I can't go and hang out with friends that I had from high school and talk about how my payroll is now $40,000 a month. That, that's just a problem that they can't fathom. They make $40,000 a year. Right. And my payroll costs $40,000 a month and I don't pay myself. So it's not like I'm sitting here, you know, paying myself this massive salary. That's not how I do it. So I've got legitimate payroll costs that are more than people make an entire year now. There's a disconnect in the perception of reality at that point. And so when you realize that there's people out there that you can have these high level conversations with that get it, that understand it, you naturally gravitate towards them and become friends with those people. 
And then you realize really quickly, like, well, I've got this that I'm trying to do. And they're like, well, that sounds amazing. I know somebody that's in that space. Let me introduce you. And the next thing you know, you're like, well, that guy's the head of so-and-so and they can get your product distributed nationally across the board. And that's exactly who you needed to meet. But it's that constantly leveling up. And then every time that you do making friends with the people that are at that level, and it's hard. Like I'm not a, I'm not extroverted, even though I have a podcast show and I talk in front of my own camera, you know, people like go, Oh, you have a podcast. I'm like, I stayed in my office by myself and I talked to a camera. Like, yeah. It's not that hard. Like you could do it in your mirror if you just get used to it after a while. It's not like I got an audience out here. Yes, there might be thousands of people watching online, but they're not in my office with right. me. Right. You don't have to, you're not making eye contact with them. Right. Right. And I go to these networking, like people ask me all the time, Hey, I'm having a meetup. You want to come? And I'm like, nah, actually, I don't. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I, it's so, like, for me and my personality type, it is, it is a high level of effort to network because I'm like, I just, if I go into it thinking like, how can I leverage this relationship? Then I feel like I'm, I'm dirty for going in with that right. mindset. And then if I go in with like, well, hey, I'm just going to kick it at the bar tonight because that's where this meetup is. Then I'm like, well, that's a giant waste of time because that's not what I want to do. So it's like, you got to put yourself out there. And for me, it's a double-edged sword. So hopefully if somebody's listening to this, like later on, they go, I hate networking too. You're not alone. I get it. I hate it. But, but it's think, a necessary evil. Well, right. And I if think no one knows who you are and if no one knows what you do, right. and then you go, well, I can't make any sales. Well, no shit. <laughs> no one knows who you are. No one knows what you do. I think one of the reasons why networking can be so difficult, I'm an extrovert, so I don't have a problem talking to people, but I had a really hard time navigating it because I wasn't judicious enough in what I chose to network with. And when I realized that a lot of those networks were more about the people there were all looking to make money off of the other people there. And as soon as you realize you're in that room, you need to leave that room. It's a giant echo chamber, right? Absolutely. And everybody's like, you know, and it's the same thing with these real estate teams. We're number one or, you know, look at the, we sold. This. And it's one. like, listen, everybody, I, I used to tell somebody, Hey, I'm number one on Tuesdays driving a white truck with a EXP tailgate. I mean, we can all claim we're something. And, and yeah. but. When it Tuesday's really my day, bro. Like <laughs> Wednesday, yeah, you could be number right. one. Tuesday's right. my day. Yeah. Right. yeah. What that made me realize is, you know what, 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 what service are you providing by being number one? Now, truly, if you're number one, you, that might be really important because you might be the best at, for this particular type of client. But what I really found was none of that shit matters. It's like the award that they wanted to charge me for. I, I don't need that award. It has, it does nothing for me. It does nothing for my clients. So, so the networking facet for me is so important when it's done properly. And so what I have to do is very carefully navigate, Hey, are, are people there to try to leverage something from me, which is okay. Like you said, you feel dirty. Mm -hmm. um, I don't go in there going, what can I leverage out of this? Um, I, I've made a lot of those uh, early on. I was in a lot of those networking meetings where everybody there was looking to leverage everyone else there. And what I realized was we were all just going to take, if everybody came in the room with $10, you're going to still leave with $10 because it was going to change hands 500 times between the room. And everybody yeah. was only going to get, five, you know, the same that they brought. And I said, no, I yeah, it's like that giant echo chamber, right? Yeah. Like, well, we just all trade our money back and forth. And then, you know, if you get enough people, that can speak highly enough about you, then you start to attract the outside world and then we can all be rich together as coaches. I mean, it's right. kind of, it's almost like that thing and it's kind of weird. 
Andy Frisella talked about this uh, not too long ago, and I thought it was brilliant. And what he and what he equated it to was people that are actually really doing stuff, and people that want everybody to believe that they're out there doing stuff. Right? When you join a low level group, even though it might be pitched as a high level group, and everybody there is just to sell their product to everybody that's there. Right? They joined basically for to leverage the group for sales. When everyone's doing that, you understand that that's where everyone's mindset is and everyone's broke. Because when you make enough money, you then can say, I'm happy to contribute because we're part of this group. And like, this is what I do. And this is my unique ability. And if I can help you, let me help you. Right. And when you get this, like when you, when you join a true mastermind and you've got the give and take of different industries and where somebody goes, Hey, you, are you struggling with marketing? I run an ad agency. Let me run your ads for free. You just run the ad spend. What? Seriously? You, you don't need me to pay you like a retainer? And they're like, no, nah, man, we're in this group together. Like, this is what I do. Like, I don't need to gig you for five, $6,000 a month. Like, I'll just run it for you. And that comes back tenfold. Well, and then you go, well, what can I do for you? What uh, do you need? Very, right? and, and then they go, well, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And you're like, well, shit, man, I know this guy who does that. Let me inter- introduce you. And that's, like, and that's what a high-level group really, the power of a group like that is to be able to say, hey, we're just trying to help each other. We're just, you know, there's no expectation of return. I just know that when I put that good energy out, it always comes back tenfold. Right. And it's the same thing with money, right? Like I try to donate to things that I think are good. You know, people post birthday, you know, like the birthday fundraisers on Facebook. And I used to get so annoyed with those because it was like, oh shit, it's your birthday. What do I need to give money to today? And I'm not really your friend if I don't donate. Like that was my mindset right? Like, well, I must not really like you. So if I'm not willing to donate to your birthday fundraiser, I probably should just unfriend you, right? Because I mean, if I don't love you enough to donate to your birth- right. fundraiser on your birthday, are we really friends? So I used to use that as a mechanism of deciding how I was going to clean up and pair my friends list. Just being honest. I mean, we all do stuff. Oh, that we just, You know what I mean? Like, hey, yeah. whatever. And now when I see somebody and I go, well, you're on my friends list. And here I, I, I see that you're having a birthday fundraiser. And I'll look at it. And some people I go, I I don't really want to donate to that. I think that's kind of stupid or silly. And then there's other times where I go, I really like that. Wow, that's a great cause. I'm I'm cool. I'm glad that you chose to support that on your day so that I got to see it. I'll give that a thousand dollars or I'll give that five hundred dollars. And it always blows me away because the majority of people that donate to that kind of stuff are like, Well, I'll give it five bucks or I'll give it ten bucks. And I've just decided, no, man, I'm gonna go big. Like let's thousand bucks. 500 bucks. If I like it a little bit, it's 500 bucks. If I like it a lot, I'll throw a thousand bucks at it. And like within the last two or three weeks, I've probably donated to like $3,500 worth of birthday things on Facebook and then some local stuff going on here in the Cleveland area. And it always works out that when I'm generous with that energy, right, of the money, when I put that money out and I do good things with it, or I donate it to causes that I think are good, the next thing that comes back around is, like we're, we're looking at another deal right now, another 750 units, probably going to cost 45 million. I swear to God, dude, I, I sent a thousand dollars to a guy here in town that had a baby a month later, found out he's got terminal cancer. Like he, his first kid, month old. And they were doing this fundraiser down at a barbershop uh, last weekend in Seven Hills. And I went down there and I just anonymously gave him, you know, a thousand bucks. And I, like three days later, Clear out of the blue, somebody hits me up on Facebook Messenger, no less, and goes, hey, a really good friend of mine 
runs a hedge fund. They need to place 50 million by the end of the year. They have no idea what they want to do with it. Do you have anything? And I'm like, I'm looking at like $45 million worth of deals right now. And we have a conversation and it's like, wow, this sounds like this is a great, great fit. They want to place debt. It's like a debt fund. Sure. So they're just looking for an operator that has a solid system and a solid team that they can put money with. And you just go, man, I, I put a little bit out into the universe. And, and the next thing you know, you go, well, how are you going to take that deal down, Matt? I don't know, man. I put the commitment out there and then the universe just shows up and provides. Now I try to do good stuff and help people along the way, but it always just kind of works out. If I'm grateful for what I'm given and I try to put plant the right seeds, it just continues to bear fruit. Yeah, I, I think that that is uh, true of, of everything that we do on whatever level. So um, yeah, absolutely. As we get, we're, we're going to wrap it up here soon. I like to keep my uh, my podcast under an hour because uh, yeah, know, me too. I think it just it, it resonates with people some more. I, I have so many things I could ask you and so many directions because of the stuff that you've done and the stuff that I know you've done. But what is it that what is it that drives you? I mean, I know. Listen, money drives boats, you know, but, but money's not everything. It, it does make life a lot easier, but what makes you want to do what you do? What is it that now versus maybe 10 years ago, what, what is it makes you get up in the morning and get you excited? You know, it's interesting because yeah, I think in the beginning you do chase the dollar. You know, I think you do want that lifestyle. You're like, Oh, if I could, if I could do this, then life would be a whole lot easier. And what you realize is that's that mountain climb and it's never going to get easier. It's just always going to get harder. And the more money, more problems. And then you can say, oh, I do it for my family because I want to have, you know, I want to be able to give them the best lifestyle possible. And, and the truth of the matter is, that's a bunch of bullshit. I, because here, my kids are little. You know, my kids are, my oldest is 12, my youngest is three. And I got five kids. I, can, I took my kids on a cruise less than a month ago, right? And we were in concierge. We spent a boatload of money on this boat. Mm-hmm, yep. The kids just wanted to hang out in the room and watch Mickey Mouse on the TV. And I go, the kids would have been cool going down the street and renting a two-bedroom suite at the hotel. Yep. And then just having an indoor pool and have a change of scenery. And so you go, you justify it that, well, I want to do this for my children. No, man, you really want the lifestyle yourself and you want to bring the family along and you're using them as a justification as to why you're doing it, right? (laughs) But... I think for me personally, at this point, what it really comes down to is I've looked at, I, I've, you know, we're in the process of opening a family office and we're, we've structured all of our businesses like that. So when it comes to the point where we actually physically have the entity structure, everything will just transfer over nicely. But there's a mindset shift that happens when you have kids and you look at wealth preservation and wealth creation for future generations or creating generational wealth is like the way that they most people tell you to look at it is the day your kid is born, all of your assets transfer to the child and you as the parent become the steward of the money for your kids. So you have to make good financial decisions because it's not your money anymore. It's not your assets anymore. It's not your wealth. It's your children's and you've got to protect it for them. And so at this point, I, I kind of have a little bit of an addiction to growth and I'll just be honest, I have an addictive personality anyway. Like I have the ability to just get like dialed in on something and then just get a little obsessive about it. But I'm kind of addicted to growth just to say like, well, we can do this. What can we do next? Or we can do this. How do we take it to the next level? We have one gym. How can I have a thousand? And it's not just like, well, let's open three. Dude, I want open three in every city across the country. Like that's just where my mindset is anymore. So it's kind of this growth for growth's sake, which is silly you know, cause there's not like clear set goals to it, 
But I really like the idea of being able to provide my kids a lifestyle with which they can make decisions about their future and it's not tied to money. And so it's not like I want my kids to have a silver spoon in their mouth that everything is handed to them and I create these entitled brats. It's more along the lines of, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And it's not a question of, well, can I afford to go to college? Do I need to go get a job? How am I going to pay for school? How am I going to pay to start a business? It really comes down to where's your passion? What do you want to do? Like my eight-year-old loves dogs. Just every dog she sees in the world is like her best friend. She's got to go over and pet it. She loves it. If we, if we could have 800 dogs at the house, we would. She wants to be a vet. She's like, I just want to take care of dogs. I'm like, great. And then I go, I can allow her to be in a position that down the road, she can say, I still want to be a vet. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay to go to school. When I'm done, I can go out, I can get some experience. And then, hey, if I want to start my own clinic or my own practice, we're in a position financially to be able to say, let me invest in you and help you achieve what it is that you want to achieve. And so it's really this, how can I maximize my kids' lives from a wealth creation, wealth preservation standpoint of, I need to raise them up. I need to teach them about this. And the more I do in my life, I can set the example. And a lot of the times, like people say all the time, they're like, man, that video you posted, that changed my life. Man, you did that podcast and that was exactly what I needed to hear. And I always tell people when I meet them face to face, like when I speak at an event or something, they go like, man, oh, that was awesome. You know, I love your videos. I'm like, I make my videos for my kids. And I don't specifically talk to them. I'm not like, hey, kids, you know, here's what we're going to talk about today. Because I feel like everybody else on the outside would be like, well, he's condescending talking to me like we're children. I don't care if, if a thousand people want to watch every live stream I do. I don't care if there's 10,000 people that want to watch every podcast that I do live on social media. There might be one of my grandkids someday or one of my great grandkids someday that has this ambition and they go, my God, look at this. There's this YouTube channel and it's got thousands of videos and this was great grandpa and he started all these businesses and he, he went from nothing to this. I can use this as a roadmap. I can stand on the shoulders of the people that came before me and I can achieve something so much better. And so I go, I want to leave a legacy for my future generations. That's it. And everything stems from that. If I can help the rest of the world in the process and everybody gets motivation from it, or I can give you a roadmap to success, awesome. You know, come along for the ride. But if nothing else, I'm documenting everything for just the family for later. And, and I love that. I love that. You know, it's hard for some people to put in words. When, when I say stuff like, uh, I'm doing this, I, I do certain things for my family. I don't think that you could have probably captured better uh, what those words mean to so many entrepreneurs, because I, you know, I have the nice things I'm able to do certain nice mm -hmm. myself and travel, but what is the long term? I'm not going to be here forever. Well, I want to teach my children the ability to create wealth and to do it in, a, in an industry or a background that they love. And, and you leading these videos, you talking about these things, these mindsets really is, 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 is wealth building as anything financially that you can put on paper for them. So, yep. uh, so that really resonates with me. Now, um, as, as we get ready to close, one thing I really like to do with anybody that I bring on here, I know that you do a ton of stuff. I know that you are, you have your own podcast. I know you do a lot of live streaming. I know that you run several businesses. What today would you like to throw out there for the world that, that you think um, they should listen to or get involved with um, on, on your level that would be helpful to you and helpful to them? Ooh, 
like something they could get involved with with us? Yeah, yeah. like even if it's just listening to your podcast, because mm-hmm. I, I, I oh, do yeah, listen right on. to your podcast and I go, well, yeah, everyone should listen to my podcast. Like, <laughs> duh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, well, give us throw um, your podcast out there real quick. Yeah. So the podcast is called The Cashflow King. You could go to cashflowkingpodcast.com. That'll take you out to the Apple site. And most people are Apple users anymore if they, you know, whatever. It's on, it's everywhere. So it's on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, everything like that. Cashflowkingpodcast.com. We've been doing it for about two and a half years now. It's insane. It's been going on that long, but it's a weekly show. We might switch it up a little bit and start doing more interview style instead. Cause I'm honestly, I'm running out of stuff to talk about after two and a half years, but yeah, so there's that. So that's definitely something if people are interested in real estate or real estate investing or, or like, you know, growing a rental portfolio or figuring out how do I get involved um, or how do I start making money as a real estate investor? That's a great podcast. You know, at least in my opinion, I'm obviously biased. Uh, from that standpoint. And we've got all of the episodes out on YouTube as well. So if you're more of a visual person, you can go to drmattmotil.tv and that's just a, a redirect that's going to take you right to the YouTube channel with all that kind of stuff on it. Beautiful. Uh, anything else you're doing? I know, I, listen, social media, I, I think is is probably the greatest thing of our generation. Um, yes. that coming from a day when I, I remember having a beeper in, in the old flats in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, trying to ignore the beeper when I had yeah. the, uh, and you would go to the payphone. Yeah. Those, those don't exist beeper. anymore either. <laughs> well, I found one. I found that one that works in Parma. I'll give you the location. I'm going to put it out here because I'm afraid it'll really? go. Away. It's but like an there's antique. A, there's a working payphone in Parma. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. I have a video coming out about it, but the funniest thing is dude, even if you found one that worked, you'd pick it up and you'd be like, I don't know what anybody's phone number is. <laughs> and you hang it back up. <laughs> Which you pull out your cell phone to look at the, the number to call on the payphone, which is absolutely yeah. true. But, um, but that, you know, you and I, we came from that age to the age now where this right here could be watched immediately, uh, your live streams immediately. So we, we've come to a place where we're able to help each other in a lot of different levels. Um, any social media, if I wanted to follow you on social media, where can I find you? Uh, so on Facebook, you can just find me at Matt Motil. Uh, I'm relatively easy to find there. Uh, or you can go... Uh, on Instagram, I am Dr. Matt Motil. So most of the places I'm, I'm Dr. Matt Motil. On Facebook, it's just Matt Motil, and and Dr. is my uh, the business page where we post like podcast episodes and stuff like that. But I'm very active on Facebook, trying to get more active on Instagram, and that kind of thing with the stories and whatnot. But very, yeah, very yeah. cool. So hey guys, I appreciate you listening. Sam's on fire. Uh, podcast. If you guys get a chance to follow me, I'd like it. If you have comments, um, there's a place to, to leave it on there. I'll have my outro in a minute, but Matt, I want to take uh, a moment and say thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy, but it means the world to me that you, uh, you were able to jump on here for us today. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. This was fun. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Sam's on Fire podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to continue to hear more entrepreneurial successes like Matt's. Thanks for listening to Sam's on Fire. And don't forget to check out samsonfire.com. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a fellow entrepreneur so you get notification of all new episodes.